Hi, I'm Kathy. We're here at the beach doing exercise as a family and um, we thought it would be a good place to read this uh, John chapter 21 today because it takes place um, by the sea on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So join with me uh, as I read John chapter 21 verses 1 to 25. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the, on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. 
Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Good morning. My name is Darren, and I'm a member here at Trinity Church Modbury. How many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy? We've just finished working our way through the extended version of the three movies over an exhausting 11 and a half hours. I remember when the final movie, The Return of the King, was released, one of the criticisms directed at the movie was the number of endings it seemed to have. In fact, one website has identified no less than six different endings. There is the The Ring's Been Destroyed ending. There is the We're All Together Again ending. Next comes the Salutation of the Hobbits ending. The Sam Gets Buried ending. The Farewell Frodo ending. And finally, the real ending. Ending. And yet... Tolkien's story of the Lord of the Rings is such an epic tale with so many subplots and interwoven narratives that the multiple endings are somewhat justified to bring closure to the tale. Unlike a simple whodunit mystery where, once we find out that it actually was the butler who done it and there's not much left to tell, a simple single conclusion to the Lord of the Rings would leave too many questions unanswered too many gaps to be filled. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and as we looked at chapter 20 last week, it may have seemed like a good way to end the book. We read about the resurrection and Jesus' appearance to his disciples, and John concludes the chapter by saying, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, this seems like a great ending, but wait, there's more. As we come to this final chapter, John ties up a few of those loose ends that may have been left hanging. In chapter 18, Peter denies that he knows Jesus. How is that going to be resolved? We find out in this chapter that there had been a rumour going around that John would live forever. How much truth is there in that rumour? And will this ragtag bunch of fishermen who have been following Jesus for the past three years retire to their previous line of work or refire for the kingdom of God which Jesus had been proclaiming? Yes, John's gospel is indeed as worthy of multiple endings as the Lord of the Rings, And as we see in this final chapter, John is adding application to his purpose. He tells us that he wrote so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He now returns to a theme which began in the very first chapter and appears throughout John's Gospel, that of following Jesus. For John, the natural outworking of knowing Jesus is to follow him, which is what being a disciple is all about. And this morning we'll be looking at three aspects of discipleship, which John brings to light in this chapter. But before we dig in, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the faithfulness of your witnesses of long ago. We thank you for the words that they have written down, words that have been passed down through the ages, 
words that speak truth, words that bring life. We pray that as we encounter your words this morning, you will speak to our minds and our hearts and deepen our understanding of what it means when we are called to follow Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. As we begin today's story, we find the disciples gathered by the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. We read in Mark 16 that the angel who met the two Marys at Jesus' tomb had told them to go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And so Peter and the disciples have come to Galilee, and at Peter's suggestion, they decide to go fishing. Now, we know that at least three of these men, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, had been professional fishermen before Jesus had called them to follow him. And so it is then perhaps surprising to us that they were unable to catch anything. I remember a few years ago, my family and I went for a holiday to the York Peninsula, and we went to the jetty and spent some time fishing. While the kids had a great time, we didn't catch much. But we noticed one old guy up the end of the jetty kept pulling in fish after fish. We got chatting to him, and it turns out he'd been fishing that jetty for years, and so he knew where the fish were and how to catch them. Peter and his mates knew how to fish, and they'd been fishing that lake for years, so they must have been pretty frustrated at their lack of success that night. But suddenly, a man appears on the shore. Now, at this point, the disciples don't know who it is, but this man says to them, Do you have any fish? Cast the net over there, and you'll find some. Well, this guy certainly doesn't look like a fisherman. But perhaps from desperation, the disciples follow the man's advice and catch so many fish, we're told they are unable to haul in the catch. In fact, we're told the exact number of fish, 153 of them. Now, there have been a few theories put forward as to the relevance of this number over the years. But perhaps the best explanation for the detailed record of 153 fish is that of a personal best, just as an athlete such as a cyclist or a marathon runner would know their best track time. This catch was so huge that John thought it was worth recording in detail, and it suggests that John was indeed an eyewitness to these events. And it's here that the disciples realize who the man on the shore is. It's the Lord. The disciples have spent the night fishing without success, but at the guidance of Jesus, they catch more fish than ever before. It's from this we come to our first point. Following Jesus as his disciple means listening to his voice. Back in chapter 15, John had talked to his disciples about the need for them to remain in him and used the analogy of a vine where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And here we see that played out in picture form. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus called his disciples to become fishers of men, and here he is using that fishing idea to demonstrate the futility of the work of Christ's kingdom when we try to follow in our own strength and the absolute abundance 
when we trust in the enabling power which Christ provides. If we are to live as Jesus' disciples, we need to keep our lives centred on Christ and keep listening to his voice, which we do by praying and reading his word, the Bible. We need to remain in him and him to remain in us. As we continue today's story, we come to one of the most well-known biblical scenes, and it focuses in on the disciple who is perhaps everyone's favourite, Simon Peter. Now, Peter has what could rightly be described as an explosive character. He just seems to fly off the deep end every now and then, and particularly when he's just done or experienced something significant. Despite his good intentions, he just never seems to get it completely right. Back in chapter 13 of John, after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, Jesus predicted that Peter would betray him. In Matthew and Mark, we are told that Peter rejected this idea. For example, in Matthew, we read that Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. But early the next morning, before the rooster crowed, we are told that three times Peter did indeed deny that he even knew Jesus. It's easy, isn't it, to express unrelenting devotion to a person or an ideal, and yet when challenged, we back off and compromise. Peter's words of commitment to Jesus were hollow when push came to shove, and so Jesus initiates a reconciliation, a a restoration for Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, what does Jesus mean by more than these? Let's look back at Matthew again. Just before Jesus had predicted Peter's denial, Jesus tells the disciples that they will all fall away. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter is claiming that his love for Jesus exceeds that of the other disciples. And so Jesus takes this and works with it. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. This is such an intimate scene, the the grace of God and the love of Christ ministering to Peter, showing forgiveness and restoring relationship, and yet at the same time, recommissioning Peter for the role he will play in the dynamic spread of the gospel, which we read about in Acts. Following Jesus as his disciple means being in a restored relationship with God and with each other. Three times Peter denied Christ. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And at each exchange between Jesus and Peter, Jesus commissions Peter to care for his sheep. Following Jesus as his disciples is intimately tied not only to the love that Jesus has for us, but also to the love that we show towards others. Jesus then speaks further to Peter and essentially describes to Peter how he's going to die. Very truly, I tell you, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. It's remarkable, don't you think, that Peter, who, as we read earlier, said that he was willing to die for Jesus, yet then went on to deny Jesus in order to escape death, is now told that one day he will indeed die for Christ. And tradition says that Peter did indeed die the glorious death of a martyr in Rome, maybe 30 or so years later. During the trial and later at the crucifixion of Jesus, Peter the Rock hit rock bottom. And as Jesus has ministered to him here, he comes out changed, still with that fantastic dynamic personality, but with less of the overreacting flightiness we've seen until now. But as Jesus has told him what will become his story, he sees John following behind and has one last question. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Now, Jesus' answer here is brilliant. Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You see, God has made each of us unique with different strengths and weaknesses, and each of us uniquely contributes to the growth of God's kingdom. Put another way, following Jesus as his disciple means following his will for our lives. As we read in Acts, Peter goes on to be one of the main leaders in the emerging church, a ministry punctuated by powerful preaching and miraculous signs. And he then goes on to die as a martyr for Christ. On the other hand, tradition tells us that John was the only disciple to die a natural death. And while he didn't live until Christ's return, he did outlive the other apostles. He makes a couple of appearances in Acts, and while we're uncertain, he is probably the author of the epistles, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and perhaps of Revelation. But he has a very different role in the mission of the kingdom than Peter. And yet, Jesus sees both of these men as vital contributors in his kingdom. To Peter, he says, follow me. And to John, he would say the same, follow me. Now, perhaps you're watching or listening today, you find that you would like to know more about following Jesus. If that's you, I'd encourage you to talk to a Christian friend, or if you're watching this live, uh, to click the communication card link on your screen. Check the box that says, I'd like to hear more about Jesus and the hope that he offers. Fill in the details and someone from church will get in touch with you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you feel you've been trying to do things in your own strength. Or perhaps you feel that there's something in your past which is a wall between you and God. Allow Peter's story to encourage you that there is forgiveness available, and not simply available, but freely offered. Jesus is asking, do you love me? If you would like someone to pray with you, why don't you click the live prayer link? And lastly, if you look at others around you and think, well, I could never be a Stephen or a Scott or a Coops, or, or maybe your question is, why does God always seem to be putting me through the ringer while others just cruise along?
maybe you can relate to Peter as you look at others and ask, what about them? Jesus' will for your life is the same as it was for Peter and John. He says to us, follow me. And God's word shows us what following Jesus looks like. It may appear different for different people, depending on their personalities and strengths and weaknesses, but the foundational truth of who we are and who we follow is found in scripture and doesn't change. Why don't you take some time this week to consider who you might spur on to follow Jesus, perhaps by reading the Bible with them over a Zoom meeting or praying with them over the phone. John has shared his story of the good news of Christ, and what he has told us has been for the express purpose that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent from God to save us from our sins. And in this last chapter, John concludes by showing us that our response to knowing Jesus is to listen to his voice, to love him and to love others, and to follow him, not worrying about what others might think of us or what we might think of them. Living as a disciple of Jesus is costly, but Jesus paid a far bigger price at Calvary and bought us life forever with him. How could we not want to follow him?